Hi, you guys. Welcome back to Share Your Screen for our Halloween episode. Spooky. Spooky. I'm Coco Moco. And I'm Nikki. And we are going to be talking about ethics and media literacy in creating content, not just within YouTubers, because there are certain conversations around Mr. Beast happening, for mm -hmm. example, David Dobrik, but also it's happened in traditional media as well and how certain things slip through the cracks, but are still, I think there's not a right or wrong answer or good or bad. Um, we're going to talk about specifically Blair Witch Project because it is it holds the Guinness World Record for the highest grossing film of all time compared to how much it costs to make, which we'll talk about. Right. But it came at a cost. Yeah, and I think this is a really good case study for like why this regulation exists yeah. in traditional media and the results of a lot of these things are maybe why it should exist or there should be a conversation mm -hmm. around it in digital media and content yeah. creators when they're essentially like we're seeing creators scale to the point where they are entire media companies with mm -hmm. hundreds of employees sometimes yeah. and the lack of regulation around that even though they are effectively doing the same thing at that point right. you know what i mean if you have 100 people working on a production like yeah. whether it's going on youtube or whether it's going on hulu doesn't matter well, and you the problem I mean? is that they don't have 100 people working on it, and yet they're producing <laughs> the same true. revenue and the same stakes and viewership. Um, so we're going to get into all of that. And while we have you, for those of you guys watching on YouTube, if you comment down below, let me know what your favorite scary movie franchise is. Mine is Scream, as you can see here, because it's meta, and it's ironic, and it's a take on like the irony of scary movies. But comment down below, and also let us know what you thought of this video, um, what topics you want us to cover next. Mine is Saw. Really? Did I you love see the new one? this. Like, no, I haven't. I would love to. We should go, we should go see it. Um, I would. I love a psychological thriller. I know. Like, I can't just get into something like, ooh, it's a ghost. Ooh, yeah, scary. A zombie. No, I don't want that. Same. I want. I need that like precipice of realism. Exactly. And like, how would real people yeah. actually behave in that situation? That's what freaks me out. That's what I like. I agree. That's why I always say like, The Purge is one of the scariest movies to me because it's so realistic. Yes, exactly. Like, exactly. It's like so. You're mm -hmm. like, whoa, like um, society could really head in exactly. this direction. Yeah, like, but whereas when I see zombies, I'm like, that's just not going to happen. Yeah, I just don't care. Um, So if you guys let us know what your favorite movies are in the comments or just let us know also what guests you want. And then on top of that, we also have a growing Discord, which is one of my favorite things Join ever. the Discord. Yeah, it's so fun to see what topics you guys send. And we basically dive into We're in there videos. every day. Yeah. If you have a question, go ask in the Discord. I will answer you. Yes, it is one of my favorite things is like, Instead of annoying my friends and family about viral marketing videos that they don't care about, <laughs> Nikki and I can send them in the Discord and right. talk to you guys. We can guys. be Delulu together. Yes. And lastly, for those of you listening on podcast, if you guys give us a rating, that helps us so much grow up in the charts. Please, please, so, please, So yes, please. ratings help, subscriptions help, comments, all of that. We are so grateful for everything. And with all of that being said, we are going to roll into the video. So I want to talk to you about Blair Witch Project. Have you seen it? I have never seen it. I have wow. heard so much about it. We have to watch it. I would love to, because I think I'll love it. I think I'll be obsessed with it. But I'm excited to have this like dynamic of someone who's very, very researched yes. about it and me who only knows it like contextually as to like the things right and wrong with it from someone from the inside looking out and the outside looking in. You know totally. what I mean? Yeah. I think it also is so funny because 
we're like four years apart in age, I think, but it's, there's such a difference that happened there in those like late nineties, early two thousands of, I feel like you and I consume such different media growing (laughs) up. When did this come out? 1999. Yeah, that's literally the year I was born. Yeah, no, it's so, I feel, and I remember watching it as I got a little older, but, um, so it's, I think we should do a video where we watch Blair Witch Project and we can do like Nikki before watching and then Nikki after, and then you like give your thoughts. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. So it's so good. So, and I'm going to get into some of the statistics and then in the info around Blair Witch Project, but I do want to preface that I encourage everyone to do their own research. I did a ton of research on this, but the facts around the movie are still so confusing or there's conflicting reports from very valid websites. And part of that is because when they created the film, they didn't know how big it would be. And I'll get into it, but the directors were very deliberate about part of the marketing effort was confusing people around what exactly the movie was. That is such an interesting strategy. Yeah. Because I love things when the marketing is not to give people the answer, but to propose the question. And never answer. what you want them to do is to seek out the content to answer the question. You want them to not understand fully so that they go to watch the movie. But if they know everything, why would they watch it? Exactly. People make a mistake in marketing thinking that they have to have... We have to explain all eight details of our product, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. It's like nobody wants that. Yeah. Peak their curiosity. They will seek it out to find the answer to Exactly. Don't give them a conclusion and they'll come to their own in the comments. You know what I mean? I love that. You got to clean that saying. There we go. Another Cocoism. We love it. Um, So getting into the Blair Witch Project. Now, for anyone listening who might not know exactly the premise of the movie, it is a mockumentary. So it's like those handheld cameras. And it follows three college film students who went into the woods in the Northeast somewhere to find this urban legend of this town that had a Blair Witch that was haunting the woods. Okay. And the whole premise of the movie and why so many people went to see it is that they advertised it, that it was like a real documentary and it was found footage of these kids mm. that went into the woods and never emerged and that the film was supposed to have taken place in 1994 and they found the footage and then the movie was released in 1999. And it was like, this is what happened and we're trying to figure out where these kids are. That's so genius. Yes. I also, again, it's like, I think things that go the most viral are like, again, things that touch that precipice mm-hmm. of reality. Yeah. Like things that make you question is, could this have even happened? Like a tiny town having like an urban myth about a witch. Yeah. It's like so believable. I'm sure there is a town somewhere in the United States that exactly. has that. You know what I mean? Even if it's fiction. Mm-hmm. I'm also interested, like maybe it's because this was in 1999, but there's a lot of laws about false advertising. Like, it's interesting that they could claim this was a documentary Mm -hmm. when it was fiction. Right. And I think, in my humble opinion, as not a lawyer, they weren't (laughs) the... You will come to find out that they weren't very worried about ethics and (laughs) following rules. Okay. In fact, in one archived article that I found a few months ago when I first wanted to make a video on this, it was an interview with the two um, creators of the movie... And they said that they couldn't hire SAG actors because they intended to break every SAG rule there is. And they did. And we'll get into that. <laughs> Humbly in okay. my Okay. All right. <laughs> so getting into some of the details here, 
Um, according to the Hollywood Reporter, the movie, this is where there is confusion again. The initial cost is estimated to be around dollars and $60,000, um, and it would go on to earn $249 million globally, um, which I believe was around the same amount that... Um, $249 million? Which is around the same amount that Keanu Reeves' Matrix movie came out that same year, and it went toe-to-toe with The Matrix. That cost, like, hundreds of millions to make. I, I mean, that's Just more than the Barbie context. movie made. Um, I think over time the Barbie movie made more, but okay. it, so it does hold the Guinness World Record for top earning film per dollar spent. Right, like heart, highest ROI. Exactly. Yeah. And so it is said to have made $11,000 for every $1 spent. Mm-hmm. The Blair Witch Project. Whoa. Which is crazy because the actors in the Blair Witch Project got paid a total of $8,000. So for the entire experience? For the entire experience. So the actors didn't even make what was worth $1 to film. Like, they made $11,000 ROI on every $1 spent, and the actors weren't even worth a dollar of that. You know what I mean? Like, they were paid less than what the ROI was per dollar. This is opening up that conversation. Hey, remember that uh, whole strike about residuals? Yes. That's why. They didn't get any, yeah. (laughs) Exactly that is why. Yes, and we'll even get into it, but the main actress, her name is, I believe, Heather Donahue. I know it's Heather, and she said that she didn't really get any opportunities after the movie, and we'll get into why there's a very interesting reason, mm-hmm. but that um, she was so broke that she was trying to drive to L.A. after the movie came out to like make it, and her car was so old that it broke down under a billboard of her face, and she couldn't That's afford to get her car fixed. That's a weird Mm-hmm. And a sad universe from it, but yes, crazy. Exactly. And it's one of those things too, though, where it's like, I also like, it's easy to villainize as well. We'll get into there. The two guys who put it on their names are Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez. But uh, as well, I don't think they even knew how much money the movie would make. So I don't think they were like, we're going to stiff them. I think they just were like, we're putting on an experimental project. They genuinely, no one knew this movie. That's that true. Much. I mean, I'm sure they, no one's going to anticipate that something's going to make $249 million when you've like never made a movie before right, or doing right. something that. Yeah. And in one of the articles that I read about the Blair Witch Project, part of how they did get that initial, it's debated what it ended up being between thirty and 60000 to create the film. They went to, they were two film students from University of Central Florida. Okay. And they went to people who would be interested in investing but they sold it to them is it was a real documentary. They didn't tell them it was fake and it was scripted. Mm. They told the investors that it was a real documentary Uh and they created fake flyers about this town. They created fake news articles and the initial investors thought that they were investing in a documentary. And to do all of that in 1999. I know. Like how do you make a fake news article without the internet. And we're going to get into it. These guys were phenomenal in terms of marketing. It is very reminiscent to me of Greg Goodfried. Mm. The one that um, was on... Lonely Girl 15. The guy who made Lonely Girl 15. Okay. And is now the managers of the D'Amelios. Like, they were just very early adopters of technology. Yeah. And used it in their favor. But, um, so it was created by film students Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez They came up with the idea when they came to the conclusion one day that documentaries about paranormal happenings were scarier than actual horror films at the time. 
like those like you know the travel channel and the sci-fi yeah. channel yes like those hokey documentaries are scarier than yeah again think. because it's also this realism approach like yes. this is someone who says that this actually happened to them mm-hmm. is it as traumatic as they think i don't know you have to watch to find out exactly and now the way that they found the three actors that would be in the movie was they listed um an ad on it was like called backstage or something and they wanted three people that like weren't known because they had to convince the public that these three kids went missing and they initially wanted it to be three guys but the reason that they hired the girl is when the actors walked into the room for the audition they didn't run their tape they didn't run lines they just wanted to see if people could improvise and they randomly just asked everyone who came into the room um you know you're on you are in prison for a violent crime. You have a few years left, but you're at a parole meeting to maybe get out early. What do you say to them? And everyone had all these weird things, but the girl, Heather, that showed up to the audition, they were looking for men. She showed up and she said, I don't think they should let me out. And no one said like, no, actually don't let me out. And yeah. they were like, oh, she's got balls. Like we need her. Yeah. So they had the three people that are in the I movie. I love that. Mm-hmm. They had to teach them how to use the equipment because the whole premise was that they wouldn't have a crew with them. So it was just the three of them in the mm. woods. They were literally given a GPS system and they were taught how to use the GPS system. Okay. And they would film for eight days. That's where the $8,000 comes from. So they got a thousand per day. Wow. And yeah. They were given points on a GPS map that they had to like go to each day. And that's where they would be able to set up their tent and they would have like supplies. They would have um, a battery, like battery packs if the cameras ran out of battery. And this is, so like, do the actors think that it's real? Like they think they're chasing a real documentary? So that's where, again, there was some confusion on reporting they the what i could find i think it was it was in an interview with vice i believe okay but the director said that they did want the actors to think it was as real as possible and that there was actually a blair witch and they didn't find out until after filming that that was not the case whoa i mean they knew that they were acting and improvising but they also thought that there was the potential that there was this weird urban legend okay also if to if it they thought it was real a thousand dollars a day to I know. go hunt a witch and live in the woods for <laughs> eight days is a hard pass for me. Yes. It's a hard pass. That is not enough money. Yeah. And it will get into why it was also just they were treated so unethically, the actors during filming. So Vice described the filmmaking process as one of the most intense of all times. Um, they the Sanchez one of the guys that made the film said once they got into the woods we wanted them to be as alone as possible and um the kids had a backstory that they met at this like college and so they had the kids like go walk around the college before they began filming so that they could like so when they would improvise there was still some understanding of this is the college we allegedly met at like things like that so there was some like walk through before they were sent into the woods and they initially wanted all three actors to be as interested in the Blair Witch as each other but then they really honed in on Heather who ended up becoming like the star of the film the girl and they decided that the movie would be more believable if she was the one who was more interested in Blair Witch and like convinced her two friends to come along Mm. so they actually pulled her aside during prep and 
taught her more about mythology in the Blair Witch than the other guys. Whoa. So that it would show in filming that she just knew more than they yeah. did. And they thought if all three of them knew certain things, it wouldn't come off the same in filming. That makes sense. And the audience would know that they were maybe fed lines and stuff. Yeah. Filming took place over eight days. Okay. And the directors rationed their food over time intentionally. <laughs> okay. Yes. So again, there's mixed reports, but one of the reports stated that the last like two days that they had a filming, each actor was given one power bar to last them. For two days? Yeah. So they were delirious. And like they were doing that to make them delirious. Exactly. They wanted to see them break down mentally and... Part of what like critics say is so interesting about the film is not necessarily what's happening around the actors, but the movie is honestly just like you're watching the progression of them breaking down mentally. Yeah, like their psyche deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it was genuinely happening. The One of the directors, his name, the Eduardo Sanchez guy, he was, I think like a, he was a Marine or he was in a military, some military at oh. some point. And they used his combat training to figure out how to, like, antagonize them as much as they could. So, so they're just, like, almost torturing them. It is close to it. I Yeah, I mean, they wanted them to be sleep-deprived. And they would um, – when so the, the actors would be in a tent every night. And one thing that the directors would do so that they would be sleep-deprived – And one of the actors in the film said that this was the scariest part of it for all of him. Okay. They would play on a boombox the sound of children playing on a playground, but like eerie, like swing sets and laughing. But they were alone in the woods. Dude, anything related to like little kids scares me the most. Yes. It was so – He, the actor said it was like so unsettling. And they actually got that recording because – um, one of the director's mothers lived near like a playground or something and he would hear the kids playing out the window and it always sounded really creepy. Uh-huh. So when they knew that they were going to go forward with this film and they needed ways to antagonize the actors, <laughs> he like tape recorded the kids playing on the playground. And also, again, it's crazy to me that this happened in 1999. It's not like yeah. someone walked out to their playground with their iPhone and like hit voice. Yes, it was intentional. It's you had to like, like go a, to Best Buy and get yeah. like a tape recorder. Yes, mm-hmm. Circuit City. Yeah, Circuit City. Circuit Radio City Shack. Sure. Oh, we love Radio Shack. Yes. So it was very intentional. And now another source, which was, it's called Creepy Catalog. The actors had a safe word taco. I feel like if you need a safe word on set, like that's also, maybe that's a normal practice. I'm not sure. Um, they in the article they never say if the actors actually had to use the safe word. Uh-huh. Um, and part of now, so as the filming ended, the actress Heather Donahue said that she was shaking and crying for hours after they were done filming and removed from the set because of how traumatized she was. Like her her nervous system wouldn't calm down. Sleep deprived, borderline starving, yeah. dehydration. Like yeah, I would be in shambles. Yes. And if you watch the movie, one of the things that happens is one of the actors goes missing. So it ends with just two of them left and they find this like abandoned house in the woods. It's like the final scene. We have to watch it. But they didn't want the actors to know that that was part of the plot. So in, so each of them would get like a note card at each new map checkpoint. Okay. And the guy got a note that was like, 
tonight you're going to leave the tent without them noticing. If they ask, say that you're going pee and like, don't let them know what's actually happening. And he didn't even know what was happening. So he left the tent and then they were there to then take him away. And they even recorded audio of him screaming and stuff to like antagonize. So the actors, once they started to wake up the next day, the guy was missing, but with no explanation. So like they genuinely thought that the guy just like was missing. Yeah. So they were like, these actors were broken down. Traumatized. Yeah. Now I want to get into the marketing of the film because again, it's like as much as the, obviously the filming sounds quite unethical. The film is regarded to this day is like one of the best horror films of all time. Okay. And there's a couple reasons for it, but it came out in 1999 and even Stephen King, the horror, horror yeah. author, and he creates books and stuff. He's like the modern day Alfred Hitchcock. Um, there's allegedly a story that he was in the hospital when Blair Witch Project came out and his son visited him and put it on the TV to mm-hmm. show him this movie that everyone was raving about. And Stephen King asked him to turn the movie off because it was too unsettling for Whoa. him. So that just shows you like what it is about this movie. And in one of the articles I found part of the Blair Witch project is that they, once they were in post-production, they didn't have budget for special effects Mm -hmm. and they wanted to add in a Blair Witch into Mm -hmm. the footage, but they couldn't afford to hire someone to do that. And so they ended up just moving forward with the movie where the whole thing is like, you never actually see the Blair Witch. Interesting. But that because of that kind of happy accident, it's partly why the movie is considered one of the scariest horror movies of all time because you never actually see the villain. And so people in their own minds came up with like a scary villain, which was scarier Whoa. than if you just saw. Yeah, because it's you project whatever is, is most your fearful fear. to you. That's insane. And also kind of a common trope of the horror genre Yes, now, where they usually show it, but it's like in the last 10 minutes of the movie. Yes. You know what I mean? Or like there will be an object that yes. signifies like a like a possessed dog, yeah. but you don't actually see what's possessing the dog mm-hmm. until the last 10 minutes. Yeah. And I feel like you even see that influence in like Jordan Peele movies, like uh, the Nope movie. Mm-hmm. It was this thing in the sky and you kind of saw it change form at the end, but like the whole idea was that you never really understood what it was or yeah. what its motives were or where it came from. And that was scarier than if it was like, you know, a little gremlin in your closet. Yeah, it is it is literally human nature for the our mm. greatest fear is the fear of the unknown. Exactly. That is Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. He talks about it. Wow. Of, it's like why we have this obsession with like explaining the unexplainable. Yes, yeah. Um, and now the movie. So the marketing was genius. It came out in 1999, which was like the turn of when the internet came around. Okay. And what was common at the time was these like AOL chat forums and people were still building out websites and this website called Sightseeker, um, when I was looking up articles about the movie, it said Blair Witch Project, still the greatest marketing campaign in 15 years. And now unlike other horror movies or movies in general, where the trailer is supposed to tell people what it's about the filmmakers intentionally wanted people to be confused. And so they Mm. went to see it to like try and figure out more. Yeah. Again, brilliant marketing. Brilliant marketing. And um, they wanted people to 
not actually know if there were three missing students or not. They wanted it to feel real. In fact, it was so real that even after the movie came out, the three actors reported that their families were getting an influx of calls from like friends, relatives, hometown people sending condolences for their missing child. And even they said, even when they would tell people it was not real, no one believed them. Like it was so real to people. I think it's because the reactions were real. Yeah. Maybe the plot wasn't fake, but like them being in the woods, real. Them being sleep deprived, real. That like, you know what I mean? It's like that I think is what, at least my assumption is like what made it magic, I guess, was like. It's it's not act, it's literally not acting. They were not acting. They were genuinely thought this was happening to them in some capacity, and oh. that's probably what made it yeah. so believable. Like was... they do deserve condolences and fruit baskets because they went through <laughs> yeah. a traumatizing yeah, experience. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and in fact, um, the main girl Heather, she said that she had a really hard time getting gigs after this movie, after Blair Witch Project. Because people literally thought she was dead. And the directors, to make the movie more believable, they had IMDb, which was unheard of even to this day, update the three actors' IMDbs to missing person presumed dead. So these actors literally couldn't get gigs. Like, again, that's when we're talking about SAG and stuff. Like, that's so unethical. Yeah. Because, again, especially back in pre-social media, they can't, like, double-check their Instagram account to see... If somebody looks up, their, if they apply to a movie role mm-hmm. with that name and somebody looks up their IMDb and it says missing. they're missing, they're going to assume, oh, it's just somebody being either pulling a prank yes. or being a hoax or trying to do this to like get attention to get the audition. Not that that's actually who this person is. Yes. And I almost wonder if the movie was so beloved that people didn't want, even if they rationally understood that these were actors, they didn't even want to believe that it was fake like it it let them enjoy the movie by still and I mean the directors were so committed to the bit that they passed out missing person leaflets in the area around the time the movie was coming out they even tricked local news stations into reporting on the three missing children well not they were college kids um and the main actress she said that she ended up having to quit acting but that when the movie came out and she saw it was successful, again, she only got paid 8K, she was driving from her hometown to LA to try to make it as an actress. Uh-huh. She was in the biggest movie at the time that was holding its own against The Matrix with Keanu Reeves. And like, you know, the the universe timing, her car broke down and she couldn't afford to fix her car. And it broke down under a billboard with her face on it. That's insane. Yeah, and she ended up having to leave acting because no one would book her. Because they wow. literally either typecast her or thought she was dead. There is a curse of being too good at playing a role yeah. in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. This is actually something that um, Steve Carell and Rain Wilson, so people who played Michael Scott Dwight. and Dwight from yes. The Office, talked about, was Rain Wilson said that he was like so beloved <gasps> and known for this role that nobody wanted to book him. Wow. For anything. It, even some, he was like, one, he wanted to get into more serious acting. Not at all. They're like, you're Dwight, you can't. And then he even tried to get into comedy and people were like, 
mm, no, like if you know if that like if we don't have a Dwight character, like it doesn't really oh, make sense he for got you typecast. here. He got typecast. Same thing happened with Steve Carell, and he said that it was like one of the hardest things to, to yeah. get out of is like they were so good it's all people wanted them for but also that put them into this box where they could never their career had no growth yeah I actually you like triggered him I think I listened to a podcast years ago with Rain Wilson where he finally got cast for some movie and I think it was even maybe like still kind of a comedy and it bombed at the box office and Whoa. he felt so like disappointed and truly felt like he was so good at playing Dwight that like Hollywood would never cast him in another role. Wow. And it truly is. You're right. Like as an actor, you almost don't want to be too good at the role you play. So good. Like someone who I think that this could happen to is Jenna Ortega. Oh, with Wednesday and stuff. With Wednesday and Scream. And like, you know what I mean? She's like so young in her career. It's hard to tell, but it wouldn't surprise me if she ends up facing a lot of adversity in that way where people only want her to play this very dark, monotone, Mm -hmm. feminine character and nothing else. Yes, totally. Um, And yeah, so, and like also with um, the Blair Witch Project, something really fascinating that they did is they launched a website, BlairWitch.com. And on it, they wanted to have all of these like news articles and leaflets and blogs about the three film students that went missing. Mm -hmm. And they even worked with the sci-fi network and put out a mini documentary about the Blair Witch so that like, again, it was believable. Yeah. And they had this website called BlairWitch.com. They took out an ad in Variety Magazine the week that the movie was coming out. Which was not uncommon for the, you know, movies to do. But instead of having like a typical like, you know, graphic and why you should come see the movie and, you know, critics love it, whatever. All it said was it was a blank page. And it said BlairWitch.com. 21,222,589 hits to date. That's all it said. No explanation for what Blair Witch was. And it was at the time where internet was starting to become something people were adopting. So they had the number of how many people had visited their website the week leading up to the launch of the movie. And this led to even more traffic. In fact, if the number is correct, that there was 21 million people who visited the website, that meant that 11% of all internet users to that date had visited the Blair Witch site at one point. That's one insane. out of 10 people. One out of every 10 people. Could you imagine if one out of every 10 people visit? Like I could only think of maybe Google, YouTube. Yeah. Maybe. But even, even. then that's like the site, not a one specific, specific video. Yeah, like you know one. I mean? Yeah. And so their website would crash and like it was not able to handle the amount of people going on it, but that even I made people more excited. Say. People yeah. are like, well, what am I mi-? Like, exactly. what am I missing? And going back to your quote at the beginning, like if if you don't give the audience a conclusion, they will seek out their own exactly. conclusion. Like you're selling this idea of the curiosity. Yes. And, and you want to give them the opportunity to drive that conversion. Exactly. Because they will click the website or search the website to find it out. That's insanity. And allowing people to come to different conclusions. And it reminded me of, again, Lonely Girl 15, yeah. where Greg Goodfried, the creator, said that so this is so um to note the 
creators of Blair Witch Project, there were forums discussing it on like AOL and stuff in the lead up to the movie where people were trying to figure out what this Blair Witch was, if there were actually three students that went missing, Mm -hmm. and they would create usernames that didn't seem like they were affiliated with the movie, like they were just also other fans, and they would go into these forums and purposely confuse people or ask questions that would like get a big reaction or if people were doubting the validity, they would leave comments being like, no, this is why I think it's like a real documentary. So they were like planting these seeds of confusion within forums to make people even more interested. That's insane. Yeah. And so, um, and then one other thing about the movie, and then we'll just talk about like why we, what our thoughts are and then how it relates to YouTubers is it was the first ever movie filmed this way that like premiered in theaters where it's like a handheld camera. Like they're holding... It's very reminiscent of what we see with like either vloggers now or like even Paranormal Activity was inspired by Blair Witch, but even that was like nanny cams that were like stationed for the most part. But audiences were not used to Blair Witch Project style of handheld camera that there were reports of mass people getting sick during the movies. Whoa. Like throwing up. Like nausea. Yes, that there was even one theater in toronto that had to warn people if they were prone to motion sickness they were required to sit in aisle seats so they don't throw up on other moviegoers that's insane yeah which is crazy but it's like no one was used to the style of film for blair witch and i think that mass hysteria sounds like a pr nightmare i think again people wanted to go see the movie even more knowing that people were like throwing up right it's like what is so scary like even if if a friend told me I watched this new horror movie that was so terrifying it made me throw up. I would be like, what? Yes, exactly. So that was kind of the data that I could find about Blair Witch. Again, it's there. I mean, I encourage everyone to do their own research. There's a lot of confusion around certain timelines and dates and prices because I think that was the strategy around Mm -hmm. the movie. And it was also in the beginning of the internet where people weren't really documenting those things the same way and they weren't with like a big publication or anything. So I just think that it's, again, it's one of my favorite movies, but I do feel for like the way that the actors were treated. And it makes me think of like when we were discussing this video prior to filming, you brought up there's something happening as we speak with Mr. Beast right now, Mm, right? Yeah. Can you dive into that? So he is getting a lot of backlash because he (laughs) posted a (laughs) video or a screenshot on Twitter of like a video that is currently being filmed because his videos are like generally like 30 days or like months Mm -hmm. long. And it is him locking two people inside this room. We'll edit it on screen. And it's it's an insane asylum. Yeah, no windows. Padded walls. Two beds, like nothing else. This fluorescent lighting, like in people are like, are we not going to talk about how he's literally just monetizing their trauma? Yeah, like it's the concept is it's like two people locked inside this room. Last person to leave gets five hundred thousand dollars. So whoever leaves first loses. Other person wins. Yeah, and no time limit to it. No, and one of the things I said was like that is a domestic violence situation waiting to happen after a week. One of them's just going to, like, try and physically force the other person out. Yes. For sure. Yes. No doubt in my mind. Because what is it? I think you already said, but $500,000. $500,000. That's life-changing. Yes, life-changing. Even Jeff Bezos would fight over (laughs) $500,000. Like, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And I just think 
from a, a media literacy standpoint, any time, like what happened with David Dobrik and yes. the Jeff Wittig situation, the excavator, and the excavator or um, Mr. Beast content or something like this, like from a media literacy standpoint, I think that's like important if you're watching a video to sit and think like, am I watching somebody monetize someone else's trauma? Yeah. Like that is a really scary and slippery slope that just should be questioned more than it is. Yeah. Like even with David Robert, the whole Dom situation when he like locked those girls in a room, ha yeah. ha, even if it's a prank, you're monetizing somebody mm-hmm. else's trauma. You're monetizing the possibility, even if it didn't happen, that somebody could be essayed in that room. You know what yes. I mean? Like that, the second that's happening, I think it's important from a viewer standpoint too that we acknowledge that behavior yeah. and call it out. Well, and also the power dynamics. This happens on like reality shows as well, which we have an episode reality about. Is a but point. yeah, it's like you, if you're doing a competition that is based around money, you inherently are going to have a power dynamic between production and the person who needs that money. Yeah, and like they're more willing to do things that maybe they wouldn't be open to. Because there's like this kind of carrot hanging in front of them. And to your point as well about like the production side, what's crazy to me, and I think it was the first time I realized it was with the accident that happened with David Dobrik, where these YouTubers love boasting about how much money they make every Mm -hmm. year. They love being on the top of the Forbes list. They make, Mm -hmm. I think Mr. Beast made $82 million last year. And I'm a fan of Mr. Beast. I think he's very well-intended. I think he's a great influence, but I think it's one of these situations where when your entire video success is predicated on doing something extreme and more and more extreme every video, you are eventually going to turn into dire situations because it's no longer fun for people to like, you know, give out 10 K in a Walmart. They have to have two people fight over 500 K in a windowless room. But what I was going to say too, is like these YouTubers love to boast about how much money they're making every year and how many views they get. And they're competing with CBS, ABC, Fox, Mm -hmm. Netflix that are producing, you know, American Ninja Warrior or Big Brother. And yet these YouTubers then want to play shy church mouse (laughs) when they're now being asked, okay, so you're bringing in the same viewership and money as American Ninja Warrior and Big Brother. Where's your onset psychiatrist? Where's your onset medical professional? Where's the insurance for your set? If David Dobrik had insurance, Jeff's surgeries would have been paid for. Yeah. Or, but I mean, he didn't. Yeah. And even like, that's extreme. That's like extreme extreme examples. Yeah. Let's talk about things like, are they taking a legally, legally required lunch break? Yes. Are they like getting paid overtime? If, if they go over eight hours? hours? Yes. Like, it's crazy the amount of yes. exploitation. Not even to mention children, which yeah. is a different topic for another day. Yeah. But like even slippery, more yes. slippery slope. And going back to your other point too about like the escalating yeah like when you always have to have a bigger yeah. and bigger thing like mr Beast is like i always think about like prank content is another great example where so and so is you know at first pranking people in walmart mm-hmm. and then a year later you see them doing something in an airport that ends up shutting down the entire airport because somebody reported it as it could have been a bomb yes threat. and i'm like you know that the, you're not supposed to do yes that. like you know that but they have they feel this pressure to escalate 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 yes because if not like 
what are you going to do? You know what I mean? And yeah. it's just, Where, and it's a, again, media literacy. Like mm-hmm. if you see someone pulling a prank in an airport, like, ha ha guys, I left my briefcase right here. Let's see if it yeah. freaks people out at the airport. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, let's not. Maybe all of these people paid hundreds, if not thousands of dollars mm-hmm. for vacations or business trips or whatever that they're going. And it's not funny for you to derail the entirety of that. Yeah. Like it's not, that's just, you're just being mean. You're yes. literally bullying people in public and monetizing yes. it. Like, I just, I yeah. don't know. I hate stuff like that. On the well, and it also makes me think like, of course I don't, I think it's nuanced and there's no right or wrong answer, but if you are the type of creator that has to rely on putting other people in dire or extreme situations, whether it's a prank, whether it's fighting for $500,000, whether it's gifting someone a Lamborghini, are you just not that entertaining yourself? (laughs) Whereas like, I think of there's certain personality creators like the Emma Chamberlain's, the Bretman Rocks, the Brittany Broskies, they could be in a cardboard box right. with a Motorola phone and they would make a great video because they are interesting. Yes. Not the they either pain the or humiliation yeah. that they inflict on other people. That is you know so, what I mean? So like, are you true. not interesting? Can you just hold a video on your own? And, and the if answer you can't, is probably not. Yeah. And not everyone. It's again, it's a skill that 0.0001% of people have. It's hard. We're trying to grow YouTube. It's hard, but it's like, it's a skill that like you have to be able to hold your own. And I think, again, you lose control when your entertainment value is predicated on how extreme you can treat other people. Yeah. What can I do to somebody else? Exactly. How can I make somebody else feel this very extreme, either happy or sad is like, yeah, it predatorial. Yes. It's like you're setting yourself up for failure in the long run. And again, I think Mr. Beast is a great creator. I, I don't think that this is necessarily I'm not trying to like hound on him or anything. I think there's mm-hmm. critters that do much worse than him. Um, I could see him if he keeps getting pushback on these extreme videos that he does. I feel like he should go and work with like a Netflix or a streaming platform to like be more of a behind the scenes producer. I mean, I'm sure he's being, he's been offered that. Yeah. But like why would already. he? Yeah. I'm sure he has. But I'm sure think... YouTube pays him a good price to stay on <laughs> yeah. their platform. That and I think too, it's, probably like the I just think the autonomy that YouTube offers is unlike anything else Mm -hmm. like nobody owns it but I think it was a really great conclusion to like bring together what we saw with traditional media and what still happens online yeah and that there's a reason that this stuff is illegal yeah (laughs) and there's like never a right or wrong answer you never know it's just always every day trying to be a little bit better than the last absolutely yeah So I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. It was our Halloween episode. Comment down below, again, what your favorite scary movie is, maybe what you plan on being for Halloween. And let us know what guests you guys would like to have us on in the future. And we really appreciate you guys. Yeah. Like, comment, subscribe, give us a rating. Bye. Bye. Hi, you guys. Coco Moco here at the end of the video. I just wanted to let you guys know that Nikki and I are going to take a little two-week break. We've been loving doing the videos. We are going to miss you guys. We just want to... Um, have that breather, have that vacation. Uh, Nikki is in France right now, which is so cool. And I'm just going to be spending time with family. If you guys do want to listen to some long form videos and podcasts while we are away, I do have my pod ahead of the curve with Kokomoko that you're always welcome to join or you're always welcome to listen to. I have a discord as well. Like Nikki and I, we have our share screen discord. So we'll still be in touch. We'll still be making videos. We're just going to take a little two-week break to reset, 
get mentally ready again, and then hit the ground running in November. If you guys have any topics you want us to discuss, if you have any guests that you want us to come on, let us know because we are going to go sit at a coffee shop and make an Excel sheet of guests that we want to reach out to. So we would love to have your ideas and anyone that you think would have good chemistry with us or that you just want us to ask some questions about their career, about their background, what makes them interesting, things like that. So thank you guys so much for listening and I will see you in the next video. Bye.